Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. This week, we'll hear Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill's sermon replacing anxiety. Jesus teaches us how to deal with worry and how to lift us out of the grip of anxiety. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we turn our attention to your word now, we come before you and confess honestly that we have all kinds of masks on today. Masks to hide what's really going on inside from one another. Masks to hide from you, we think, what's really going on inside of us. Deep down we know that you know exactly what's going on inside of us. And so, God, we pray today asking you to give us the ability to take off those masks and to be honest, honest with one another, with ourselves, and with you. And so, God, help us to be honest today. And then, God, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're asking the question, how can we break anxiety's hold over us? How can we break anxiety's hold over us? I recognize the role that the national news broadcast, cable and network, play in pouring anxiety into my life. Now, I have to confess to you that in previous stages of my life, I've been quite a, a news junkie. I would go long seasons without missing the national news in the evening. It was kind of like an addiction a little bit, um, but then life got in the way of my addiction, and I found myself not being able to get to the evening broadcasts on time, and so I started turning to other sources of information, to the radio and to print, and I was largely away from national news broadcasts. But then in a recent election cycle, it doesn't matter which one, they've all been hot messes, haven't they? In one of the recent election cycles, I turned again to the national news looking to get an update on what was going on. And I found myself having an anxiety response to it all over again. And I started asking, what is it that is making me so anxious? And then I realized that Every headline was being shouted at me with an urgency that it was the end of the world, only to be replaced by another headline that is the end of the world. And in between all of these end of the world headlines, there were commentators. And the commentators were shouting at each other like everybody was an enemy and it was the worst person in the, in the world on the other end of the argument. And so I just turned it off. And I went back to print. And getting my news in print, I just felt my anxiety level go way down. And I recognized I don't need the national news dumping more anxiety into my life. I don't know about you, but I've got plenty of anxiety in my life all on my own. I mean, let's be honest. We are surrounded with things that trigger our anxiety. 
I mean, let's start with a global pandemic and being told to stay at home for long periods of time. If that doesn't trigger your anxiety, I don't know what is going to trigger your anxiety. But beyond that, as, as life continues on past that era, we discover that, that we are still surrounded by so many crises globally. I mean, we've got racial tensions going on. We've got political tensions going on. We've got wars. And we've got out-of-control inflation. Everything comes at us like a crisis that is going to end our world. That can trigger our anxiety. And if global events don't trigger your anxiety, then there are probably some events going on in your personal life that are going to trigger your anxiety. And did you know, this is just, I don't know why this is so sad to me, did you know caffeine can actually make you more anxious? That doesn't mean I'm going to stop drinking three cups of coffee a day, but caffeine can make you more anxious. We're just surrounded by things that make us anxious. So it's quite a relief, isn't it, to see that Jesus addresses anxiety in his masterclass on discipleship? We're studying the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and Jesus is the master on what it means to be a disciple. The Sermon on the Mount is where he tells us what the life of a disciple looks like. And in this master class that he's teaching us on the life of a disciple, he addresses anxiety. Well, that's really important because it means that we as disciples, as followers of Jesus, are going to face anxiety. And in facing it, we're going to need to learn how to deal with it. And so it's interesting to me that at the end of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is addressing the question, how can we break the hold that anxiety has over us? It's an incredible relief to me to see Jesus addressing this question. Because in what he says, he unravels the threads of anxiety one by one. And Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 6 at the end, and he confronts us on our wrong understandings of God, and he replaces it with a right understanding of God that's like an antidote to our anxiety. And then he invites us to live with God in the present and breaks the hold that anxiety has over us. And that is so important because that's exactly what we want. We want to see God break the hold that anxiety has over us. And that's exactly what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew chapter 6. So let's dig in. Because we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus confronts the problem of anxiety head on. He does so in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And I want to remind you of what 25 through 32 said now. Jesus begins, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, when Jesus speaks about anxiety in these verses, what does he mean? Because if you've got a different translation of the Bible, sometimes translations will include the word anxious or anxiety, and other times they'll speak about worry or being worried or having a worried mind. Now, the word that that translators are seeking to help us understand in English applies a self-concern that we have that is directed toward the future. And so translators use the words anxious or anxiety and worry interchangeably to imply a concern that we have about ourselves that is directed toward the future. They mean the same thing by those two words. But when we use those different words, we don't always mean the same thing. To us, worry, stress, and anxiety mean three different things. I read an article in the New York Times that helped to explain the difference to me between them recently. Worry is something that happens in the mind. And in the mind, we perceive a threat, a danger that could be coming to us in the future. Stress, on the other hand, happens in the body in response to a perceived threat. Chemicals get released in our body, and they prepare our bodies to address the threat that we have perceived. And then there's anxiety. Anxiety brings together worry and stress. In fact, anxiety brings together a lot of worry and a lot of stress. It is a mind and body total response to a perceived threat. Now, anxiety has some pretty profound symptoms that come along with it. First of all, anxiety tends from the very beginning to just get out of control. Because you see, anxiety doesn't have to be attached to a worry about a threat that is real. All it takes is a perceived threat. And then that anxiety response begins to spin out of control in us, getting bigger and bigger. And anxiety can produce all kinds of physiological symptoms in us. When we're anxious, our heart rate tends to go up. Our breathing tends to get faster. When we're anxious, we, we sweat, we can shake, we can become uh, weak, we can feel tired. When we become anxious, it's very possible that we can't sleep when we're supposed to be sleeping, and it can even make it very difficult for us to digest our food properly. We get all kinds of symptoms as a result. Anxiety. Anxiety is profound stuff. And so it's amazing to me that Jesus confronts it. It's comforting that Jesus confronts it head on in Matthew chapter 6. Because anxiety is widespread in our culture. Anxiety is widespread in our culture. In the article that I mentioned to you that I read in the New York Times recently, there was a quote, and I'd like to share this quote with you because it describes how widespread the problem is. It says, nearly 40 million people in the U.S. suffer from an anxiety disorder, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. I want you to think about that quote for just a moment. Nearly 40 million people, that's a lot of people, suffer from anxiety at the point of disorder, meaning that it's causing substantial impact in their quality of life. 40 million people. Now, what I want you to know about that quote and about the study that it's referencing is it was published in February of 2020, before the pandemic. 
In 2021, the Pew Research Center did a study of Americans and asked the question, how are you doing at this point after all the stress that's been dumped into your lives with anxiety? And they asked the question broadly. And what they discovered is that in 2021, one-third of us responded that we were having a substantial impact from anxiety three or more days a week. Three or more days of our weeks were substantially impacted by the level of anxiety we feel. In other words, that whole response was triggered in us, disrupting our lives three or more days a week. And when asked, okay, how many of you are feeling this anxiety one or more day a week? Two-thirds of us said yes. Two-thirds of us said yes. Now, what does that mean? It means that anxiety is a massive problem that we're dealing with in our society. It also means it's time for us to begin talking with one another about anxiety and other types of ways that we struggle with our mental health. And not only do we need to begin talking about these issues broadly, we need to begin talking honestly and openly with one another about how we struggle. So it's really important that Jesus confronts the problem of anxiety head on. But not only does Jesus confront the problem of anxiety head on, Jesus begins to unravel the fabric of anxiety thread by thread. I want you to notice what it is that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 32, because he begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, what an important word for him to begin with, because it means that Jesus is summarizing and assuming everything that he has said up to that point in order to address anxiety. Therefore, we need to remember what it is that Jesus has said so far. If we go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began by saying, there's a blessed life and it is available to you. But then Jesus pivoted and said, if you are to enjoy this blessed life, you're going to need a surpassing kind of righteousness, a righteousness that's higher than that of your religious leaders right now. And by that, he meant a righteousness that comes from the heart. So you're going to need a surpassing heart righteousness. Then in chapter 6, he, he said, you're particularly going to need this kind of surpassing heart righteousness in your religious observances. They're going to have to be done in a way that comes from the heart. And he was talking about things like giving and praying and fasting. And what he's saying is that when we do those things from the heart, they matter. They have an impact in our lives. In the verses right after what Jesus said about fasting that we were studying last week, Jesus said, if you have this kind of heart righteousness in your religious life, it is going to break the hold that things and money have over you. And if you live your life with this heart righteousness, what you're going to find is that God is going to be your primary loyalty. God is going to be in charge. If you live with a heart surpassing righteousness, God is going to be your primary loyalty. You're going to know that he is in charge. Therefore, therefore, if we know that God is our primary loyalty and that God is in charge, it has a profound impact on us, and he now pivots with the word, therefore. If we know all that, therefore, and then in verse 25, he goes on with a thesis, and his thesis is very simple. Do not be anxious. Therefore, if you know all that, if God is doing all that in your life, therefore, do not be anxious. 
and he talks about asking the most fundamental questions in life. What are we going to have to eat? What are we going to have to drink? And he says, is not life more than eating and drinking? We're going to ask fundamental questions about what to wear. And he says in response, is the body not more than the things that you wear? And of course, the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, then he's saying, do not be anxious. That's the thesis that Jesus is pushing here in these verses. Then he goes on to unpack some examples for us to help us understand what that means and why we should not be anxious. He begins by pointing us to the birds of the air. And he's saying, if you are struggling with worries about food and drink, what to drink and what to eat and what to drink, concerns about your life, then look at the birds of the air. Now, the concern about food and the concern about drink, the concerns about life are the concerns that we have about our most basic needs. And it's difficult for us to ignore our most basic needs. If we're lacking them, of course we have a bit of worry. But Jesus says, if you're tempted to worry about these things, then look at the chief birds of the air. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us which birds we're talking about here specifically. What he means is inexpensive birds, birds that don't cost a whole lot. And he says, if you look at them, what you'll see is they don't farm. They don't, he says, sow seed and then reap, and then they don't put things into a barn the way that we do. But then he says, notice this about them as well. God provides for every one of their needs. And if God does that for birds that are of very little value in the grand scheme of things, Jesus asked, don't you think that God is going to provide for your most basic needs, your food and drink needs? And Jesus leaves the question dangling, but he implies an answer. And the answer is, of course God is going to care more about us. But then Jesus goes on to another example, and he says, if you're tempted to worry about your clothing, what you're going to put on your body, well then, in that case, look at the wildflowers. You see, when we think about our clothing, what that symbolizes is our need to project an image, our, our, our concern with what other people think about us. And Jesus is saying, if you're so worried about your clothing and what other people are going to think about you, then consider the wildflowers. Our text says the lilies of the field. Here's the thing about the lilies of the field. We don't know which lilies of the field he was talking about. We just know that he meant some, some beautiful flowers that happened to grow up naturally. There are all kinds of theories about which ones he meant, but Jesus makes the status of these wildflowers clear. He says, these are the ones that grow up today, and tomorrow they're just dead. They're weeds, and they're bound up, and they're good for nothing. Think about those, he says. And as we think about those, what Jesus points out is that this wildflower that's here today and gone tomorrow is elegant and beautiful in its simplicity. And he says, look at that wildflower. And he compares the wildflower to King Solomon, the great king of Israel, who in all the history of Israel was known as one of great wealth and luxury and splendor, whose reputation blew people away. And Jesus says, even Solomon is not more glorious and beautiful than that wildflower. And he says, if, if God clothes the wildflowers to be more beautiful than Solomon himself, don't you think he's going to take care of you 
as well. And again, Jesus leaves the question dangling without an answer because the answer is implied. Of course he will. And then Jesus comes back along in verse 31, and once again he says, therefore, therefore, God is going to provide for all your most basic needs. Don't be anxious. You see, Jesus is pulling threads out of the fabric of anxiety one at a time and watching it unravel before us. But then what Jesus does next is truly brilliant because Jesus prescribes trust in God's goodness as the antidote, the antidote to anxiety. Jesus prescribes trust in God's goodness as the antidote to anxiety. He does it in this curious phrase that he wraps up his teaching on the lilies of the field, the wildflowers with. He calls us, oh, you of little faith. I'm going to try that sometime. I'm going to wait for Thanksgiving, and I'm going to see my kids, and I'm going to address them as, oh, you of little faith. Because we do that all the time, right? Good morning, you of little faith. No, we don't. It's not a real word. In fact, it is not a real word. It's translating what is a word that occurs in, in the teachings of Jesus and no place else. It's a compound word in Greek, and it means literally not having much faith. You who have not much faith. Jesus uses this term of us when we are beset by anxiety. And what he's doing in using this term is pointing out to us that when we get anxious, it is indeed sometimes a matter of our faith. Something is going wrong with our faith. And so as we become anxious, we have to look at our faith and ask, what is going on with my faith that is leading me to this place of anxiety? And Jesus goes on to say, when, when anxiety is taking over in our lives, a thinking has gone wrong in us, in our picture of God. He describes it as a Gentile way of thinking. We are thinking like Gentiles, like the world when anxiety takes over in our lives. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and following, Jesus is describing what this Gentile or worldly way of thinking looks like. It's materialist. And by materialist, I don't mean consumed with having more things, but simply having the conviction that the things that I can see and touch and interact with physically, the material world, the things I eat, the things I drink, the things I put on my body, are the most real and the most important. And Jesus is calling that a Gentile way of thinking, a worldly way of thinking, and it is materialist. Earlier in chapter 6, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, Jesus described that Gentile way of thinking, that worldly way of thinking there as well. And he did it when he told us what not to do. He said, don't pray the way that the Gentiles or the people of the world do. Because when the Gentiles and the people of the world pray, they pile one phrase up on another, one request after another, one title for their gods after another. He says it sounds at times like they're babbling. It can feel like nonsense. And why do they do that? They do that because they have a wrong picture of divinity of God. Their picture of their gods are people who don't know, who don't care, who don't love them, and who have no intention to intervene in their world. That's the Gentile or worldly way of thinking about God and the gods. 
And Jesus is saying here, when we get this Gentile or worldly way of thinking going in our lives, we, we have wrong values. We have materialistic values. When we let this Gentile or worldly way of thinking loose in our lives, we have a wrong picture of God. We actually are conceiving of God in a deistic or an agnostic kind of way. He's distant and uninvolved and uncaring. And when we get this Gentile or worldly way of thinking going in our lives, there is one destination that this express train is taking us to, and that's anxiety. Gentile or worldly ways of thinking are materialistic, agnostic, and deistic, and they inevitably lead to anxiety. Satan tested Jesus with this very way of thinking when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, after he was baptized, went into the wilderness for 40 days. During that 40 days, he prayed and he fasted. He went without food during this period of time. So at the end of the 40 days, Jesus was desperately hungry, and he was weak from the experience. And this is when Satan, the devil, appeared to Jesus to tempt him. And the first temptation that Satan put in front of Jesus looked kind of benign at first, almost like it's not even a temptation, almost like concern for Jesus. Satan appears to him and he says, wow, you look hungry. Oh, that looks tough. Why don't you turn the rocks? You've got the power. Turn the rocks into bread. Just sounds common sense. Of course, why wouldn't he do it? He's got the power. Why wouldn't he do it? But what Satan was tempting Jesus with was a worldly or Gentile way of thinking. Because he was saying to Jesus, recognize that bread, the things that we eat and the things that we drink, are the critical, most important things in the world. We are to spend our lives thinking about them and seeking after them. There's nothing more important in this moment than bread. That's a materialist way of looking at the world. That the stuff I can see, have, and hold is the most real and the most important stuff that I should spend my life seeking after. And at the same time as Satan is tempting him to turn the rocks into bread. He's trying to get Jesus, God the Son, to doubt the goodness and the power and the knowledge of God the Father. He's saying, oh, you have to take care of this yourself because God the Father doesn't know what you need. If he did, he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. And if he had the power and the knowledge, he hasn't done anything about it, so he must not be good. Satan is tempting Jesus to see God the Father in a ironically deistic or agnostic, distant kind of way. Satan is tempting Jesus in the first temptation with this worldly, Gentile way of seeing and thinking about the world and God. And Jesus says no to it. He turns Satan down flatly, rejecting Satan's understanding of the world and rejecting Satan's position on who God really is. You see, Jesus understands that this is a matter of faith, that a right picture of God undermines the anxiety that we have in life. When we have a right picture of God, we recognize that God is good. God loves us. Despite the fact that we have sinned, despite the fact that we have walked away from God, God has never walked away from us. God loves us. In addition, God is powerful. God is the one who made the universe. He made the universe and the galaxies 
without an effort. He speaks, and these things come into being. God is powerful. He has all the power he needs to face whatever it is that we face in life with us. And beyond that, God is knowledgeable. God knows. Jesus said, God knows what you need before you tell him. God is never surprised by the crises we face in life. God is never surprised by the problems that we come up. God's never dumbfounded by a thing that happens in our lives. Jesus helps us to see clearly that God is all good, all powerful, and all knowing. And when we correct our picture of who God is, leads dramatically to trust in our lives. I've experienced powerful moments of this in my own life, of seeing how a right picture of God leads to trust. That's a powerful antidote to anxiety. I think about the future a lot, which I'm pretty sure is just my nice way of saying I worry a lot. And when I think about the future, sometimes I come up against plans or problems that seem very big to me. And in those moments, I take those worries, those plans, and those problems to God. And I do so in prayer. And if the problem seems substantial, I'll frequently accompany prayer with fasting. And in those times, I go before God, and the same thing happens every time. I come before God in prayer and fasting, and I put the problem, I put the plan in front of him, and I ask him the question, what do you want me to do about this? And what I really mean is, what are you going to do about this? But it's amazing that as I go to God in prayer during these seasons, the same thing happens every time. I start asking him for answers and solutions. But very quickly, as I'm praying, that just recedes into the background. And every time I come into the presence of God this way, what happens is the same. He leads me into confession. And I find myself confessing my own sinfulness and brokenness to God. And it's amazing that in those seasons, it's like God is reaching into my life and ripping things out of my life. And it feels like he's never going to find the bottom of my sin. But then when he does, prayer turns from confession and repentance into praise. And I find myself overwhelmed by God's goodness, by his power, and by his plans. And I thank him, and I praise him. I thank him for what he's done for me, and I praise him for who he is. And I get up from those seasons, quite frankly, rarely with any answers, but with a deep sense of peace and with trust that God is good, powerful, and knowing. And he's going to take care of the situation. And I don't need to worry. And anxiety and worry with the right picture of God turn into trust. And so what Jesus is trying to point out to us here is that Trust in God's goodness is an antidote to anxiety. But the antidote to anxiety is still just the beginning. Because in addition to the antidote that begins to undermine anxiety in our lives, 
What we're really looking to do is to break the hold that anxiety has over us. And to do that, Jesus has one more thing to offer us, and that is living with God in the present breaks anxiety's hold over us. Living with God in the present breaks anxiety's hold over us. And Jesus invites us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34, into living with God in the present. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What a powerful way to break the hold of anxiety in our lives. Because he's saying that today, tomorrow does not belong to us. Tomorrow is not fundamentally our problem. Tomorrow belongs to God, and tomorrow is God's problem. We live in today, and today has troubles. Today has plenty of troubles of its own. But in facing today and the troubles that it has, God is with us. He knows our troubles. He is good. He is powerful. He knows our troubles, and he is with us in today. So we need to live in today. That begins to break the hold that anxiety has over us. But as importantly, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God, to pursue the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, we could think of as God's purpose in our world. And Jesus is saying that God's purpose working itself out in our world is meant to be our consuming passion, the thing that we think about, the thing that we work toward, the thing that we plan toward, the thing that we dream about. It is meant to be the thing that we pursue over anything else. When you think back all the way to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told, it was, told us it was going to be that way. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus started by describing the blessed life. The blessed life is nothing other than life inside of the kingdom of God. And when we began the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus described the blessed life for us and told us who it was available to, we recognized in our hearts, we recognized in the pit of our stomach that we wanted that. We wanted the blessed life, life inside of the kingdom of God more than anything else. And so it's only natural that we seek it, that we pursue it first in our lives. We pursue the kingdom of God first. But to truly break the hold that anxiety has over us, Jesus adds that we seek not only God's kingdom, but God's righteousness. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness first in our lives. Now, if God's kingdom is his purpose at work in the world, then God's righteousness is God's purpose at work in me. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's righteousness in us is almost as if we are praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling us to seek outwardly the kingdom of God and to seek inwardly God's righteousness, and it's critically important that we do so. Jesus told us that we would need God's righteousness at work in our lives if we are to truly experience the blessed life and the kingdom of God for ourselves. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said very plainly, for I tell you, unless your, there it is, righteousness 
exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is that we are longing for God's righteousness to be put inside of us, for God's righteousness to be formed inside of us. And God's righteousness then becomes our way through life and our way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom. Seek God's righteousness in your life. And when we seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness first, then nothing else is going to seem as if it matters. Jesus says that when we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, it actually seems that everything about life just tends to sort itself out and fall into place according to its priority. When we seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, we're left with no need for anxiety. And we're left with no reason to worry. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.